Weekdays starting at 4 on NBC4. Another school year with so much uncertainty. News 4 is working for you, dedicating important coverage to keeping kids safe at school. Helping you navigate the biggest issues facing parents, children, and teachers. And giving you expert guidance from local doctors and educators. And showing you ways to manage stress weekday afternoons starting at 4. We'll help you get through the school year safely. Weekdays starting at 4 on NBC4. We're working for you. Hello everybody, Corey here, and today we have another Double Toasted interview, and I am very, very privileged today. I'm very, very fortunate to speak with someone that I didn't think I would ever I don't think I'd ever be in the same uh, the same internet space as this, as this person, as much much less having an interview or a conversation with them. I'm talking about legendary animator Glenn Keen. Uh, good morning, Glenn. How are you? I'm doing good, Corey. Looking forward to chatting. Yeah, same here. And uh, I mean, look, I feel weird doing these kind of things because for most of our audience or anybody who's uh, into animation, they they know you already, of course. Uh, Glenn is responsible for bringing us some of the most memorable characters in uh, in, in Disney and with some of their big masterpieces, uh, especially during uh, their second renaissance, which he became somewhat of an animation superstar. Uh, Ariel from The Little Mermaid, of course, we have Aladdin and one of my favorite characters from one of my favorite movies of all time, which is Beauty and the Beast. Uh, now we're here to talk about his new film that he co-directed, which is Over the Moon, which we will start talking about in a little bit. But again, Glenn, thank you for being here. Do you mind if I show people a little bit of uh, Over the Moon, which is a, a gorgeous film, by the way. Amazing. Go ahead. Film. Yeah. Yeah. This is going to be on Netflix. We already reviewed it, but it'll be up on Netflix uh, on the 23rd, October 23rd. And let's go ahead and take a look at it a little bit. As I said, this is a gorgeous film, which uses a lot of uh, Chinese iconography in design and aesthetic. Mama used to tell me stories of the moon goddess. She's on the moon, waiting for her one and only true love. <laughs> it's just a silly myth. It's not a you know, this is, uh, as I said, this is, a, this is a gorgeous film, but this is, uh, uh, as I said, it has a big Chinese theme to it. Uh, have a little girl who is very much infatuated with a goddess on the moon, Chang Yi. How did you get involved with this film, with with all the Chinese themes that are going on? Well, I um I was giving a talk in 2017, the summer 2017, in uh, at the Annecy Animation Festival in France, and in that talk it was called "Thinking Like a Child." Um, I pretty much just described everything I loved about animation in that talk and specifically about the characters that speak the most to me mm -hmm. are ones that believe the impossible is possible. And in the audience was uh, Melissa Cobb, who would become the head of Netflix animation and Pei Lin Chow, who is the head of the Pearl Studios. And they had the script that was had as the main character, a character that embodied that idea of, of believing the impossible is possible in Fei Fei, 
uh, in her intelligence and her faith. She was everything that they thought that guy, he needs to direct this movie. And so they approached me and I thought oh, my producer, Jenny Rim and myself, um, we were thinking of doing something else at that point. But when this came along, I thought, no, this is what you're born to do. So let's let's say yes. Very nice. I uh, as I said, this is a this is a amazing looking film, and I believe well, how long ago was it that you started this? Uh, it was it was not long after that in 2017 in the fall that we started meeting and talking about doing it. But we actually um, started with a research trip in the spring uh, of 2018 to China to to really know what the Chinese life was like. I mean, I only knew it from an American perspective. Uh, this film is really told from China back to the world. So it was it was having dinner with the Chinese, getting to to meet the Chinese artists there at the Pearl Studio. And um, I mean, my team was really built with a huge Asian influence. All of our actors and singers and um, they were, they're all Asian. Uh, <laughs> I had great guidance all the way through this film. You know, I, since I have, I could talk about this film so much more with you, but since I have you for a limited time, there's in, you have such an extensive background. There's, there's so many things I want to ask and get to. Um, of course, I want to talk about your career at Disney. And one of the things, and I want to bring up some things that people, a lot of people might not still realize, even though it's out there. Uh, one of the projects that you were working on before you left Disney Studios was Rapunzel. And that was a film that you were supposed to direct. And that eventually became, I'm going to show people a little bit of this, that eventually became the movie that most people know now as Tangled. And that tower? Well, in that tower, there lived a girl who was just waiting for her life to begin. We really hit it off. How you doing? You know, what I've always read up on uh, on your version, Rapunzel, is that this was uh, going to be very much a, stylistically at least, a very much a different movie. Uh, you wanted this to be a moving painting, sort of like a moving uh, Renaissance painting. I even have some uh, concept art that I think you've done right here, which very much does resemble somewhat of a, of a Renaissance art painting. Uh, can you tell us more about that version of of the film, uh, what eventually happened with it? Yeah, well, and that that was an idea that uh, I, I'd been working on for about five years directing that film. Um, but it came at a time where Disney management went through three different uh, shifts in management. Every time it shifted, there was another change in what that film should be. Uh, it's one of the um, one of the things about doing a movie in a big studio. So much is put on the shoulders of that animated film. So many interests that uh, it it often gets shifted and changes. And ultimately, um, I stepped off of directing that film. It was a, it was going to be a darker story. Um, I think that was still about joy and 
uh, transformation, <laughs> all of that yeah. was in there. But it was in a lot of ways we were using a Rembrandt kind of a look, which had some deep shadows and characters were it was just a darker kind of a feel. And I think that that was um, there was a worry about what that film might how, if you're going to represent Disney, it was uh, it needed to be something brighter and uh, more cheerful. And so anyway, I I still believed in the version I was doing. But on the other hand, uh, it felt better to focus on the animation. Uh, so I started working um, with Clay Cadis and John Cars and myself and supervising the animation, which I am so thankful for, because that was in a lot of ways, the training that I needed to go and do over the moon. Really? Really? How, how so? Well, uh, it was what was wonderful is um, I knew that CG was something that I, I always loved. I never I've always felt that C technology forces me to draw better. The mm -hmm. world becomes more real and dimensional. I think of animating as sculptural drawing. And alongside myself was John Cars and Clay Cadis. And, and I would do drawings and designs of the character. And they say, well, why did you just do that line? I said, uh, I don't know. It just looks better. No, no, no. Why exactly does that <laughs> line make this look better? And it was <laughs> one specific thing. It was an eyelash. And the way I throw the line, I said, well, it's like, I'm throwing the the look by drawing the eyelashes moving in the direction. And uh, they said, John and Clay said, you know, we can do that. We can create geometry to actually do that. And we should do that because that has an impact. And we started to allow the intuitive nature of drawing to actually go into the actually the geometry of the characters. You know, uh, I, that was uh, your last feature at Disney, I believe, right? I mean, you right. did you did some other things. You did, uh, I know you did character design for Paper Man, which caught a lot of attention, which again, that's another one where you kind of, you, you, you're always pushing technology, trying new things, uh, using CG to get a cel-shaded 2D look. Uh, I know you did some stuff on... Uh, I think you went and did some uh, assisting on uh, Wreck-It Ralph uh, at the time. Uh, so being that that was your last big feature, though, and you were leaving the studio, why did you think it was that time that you needed to resign? Well, I remember Ed Catmull knew that I was getting restless, and he said, well, Glenn, what is it that you want? What are you looking for? And... I said, Ed, um, I mean, I love it at Disney and, you know, it's, it's been a home for a long time. And, but I'm looking, I want to, I want to live creatively without walls. Mm. And he said, well, what, what does that mean? Is that, you know, I'm not exactly sure, but I know animators all around the world and I know animators all around town and different studios and, <laughs> and, Studios tend to have big walls, um, but for me personally, I really want to be able to connect to the world of artists. I, I just really can see maybe there's a, another way of doing this. And um, 
And I knew that I, in order for me to pursue that, I needed to, to be free from a constructed approach to animation within a big studio. So uh, my wife said, well, I don't know, Glenn, if you weren't at Disney, where would you go? What would you do? I said, I don't know, Google. Google, no, they don't do animation. Well, you know, ultimately I said, but, yeah, but wouldn't it be wonderful to take animation places that uh, they don't do that? And so when I left, the first thing that happened, Google called. And then I did animation there. And then the Paris Ballet uh, invited me there and brought animation to that. And then Kobe called. And these, these were gifts. Uh, that I, I just could never imagine something like that happening. You know, speaking of, of gifts that, you know, you could never imagine, uh, this is a gift talking to you right now because, I mean, look, you hear this all the time, but I, I didn't realize until like maybe, I don't know, maybe four or five years ago that how long you had been at Disney. You know, you you were making movies. Some of the You, made, you were working on movies, which were some of the first movies that I'd ever seen in a theater. Uh, you know, I'm thinking about like the rescuers and I'm thinking of things like uh, Pete's Dragon. You know, I remember seeing that at the time. Now, saying that you've been at that at the studio that long ever since the the 70s, that means that you've uh, you've seen some of the darker periods of uh, of the studio, you know, because uh, you've been there uh, for, I don't know how long now. What, what would you say? How long it had been since the seventies? So, uh, how long had that been since you had been at Disney? Um, I left in two thousand twelve. So, uh, gosh, I don't know how long is like that about now? Four, th- th- near forty yeah. years, something like that. So that means that you've uh, now you've been there since the days when uh, you know they had movies that were considered flops, something like uh, the Black Cauldron. <laughs> A brave warrior. I'll protect you. A beautiful princess. I'm Princess Alonwi. An evil emperor. Soon the Black Cauldron will be mine. No, you were there for things, even when they weren't like considered to be flops, they were like considered to be mediocre things like uh, Oliver and Company. At least by Disney standards, they were considered to be, uh, uh, you know, a bel- uh, little uh, subpar. How, you know, what was it like? being an animator working at the studio at that time when the studio was going through this period? It, it was, um, well, you got to remember the, the artist never changed. The animators still were themselves yeah. uh, a desire to do something new. And there was always something percolating, uh, you know, like at one point I had Tim Burton as my assistant and Tim was doing sketches and there was always crazy stuff going on that he was, he was doing, Brad Bird was down the hallway, John Musker and Henry Selleck. They, they were all there and there was such hope and intense desire to do something. But, you know, waiting is really difficult. <laughs> uh, but it never stopped hoping. Uh, we always had this desire, something was going to change. And at that point in a movie, <laughs> when the character has that kind of desire, um, it always goes really dark. Um, And it got really dark when Disney was going to be sold. Animation would have been sold off. uh, But instead, um, Michael Eisner and Roy Disney came in, but they didn't 
Michael didn't quite know what to do with the animation department. There was a possibility that that would be the end of it. And we moved out of the animation building, the one that Walt built, and everybody carried their boxes with them. And we went into, um, I believe it was a coffin factory in Glendale. Um, and that's <laughs> where we were going to have to animate. But it was a lot like at 18 being booted out of the house and you gotta, you gotta survive on your own. <laughs> and uh, it was interesting at that time that um, Jeffrey Katzenberg came in and he didn't know anything about animation either. But then uh, in a fascinating way, Don Bluth came out with uh, American Tale. And that made more money than any animated film in history up to that point. Mm. And suddenly Jeffrey was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Wait a second. And Oliver and Company became a much more important thing. And he got big musical talent <laughs> and it made more money than, uh, than American Tale. And then that was enough to kind of get this fire going and ron clements presented this idea of doing a fairy tale again it had not been done for 25 years and little mermaid came and music came back into the apartment and that was a spark that everything everybody knew you could feel it uh that everything had changed as howard ashman and alan Menken were playing music in the hallway you could hear so Art was affecting the music and the music was affecting the art. And it really was uh, the beginning of a, of a new renaissance. Good. So at that time, you talk about how you could hear the music coming from the hallway. You could, you know, you, uh, you're talking about how all this, these, these uh, classic elements were coming back. Did you know at that time that Disney was about to hit this, this, uh, new, this, this new golden age, this renaissance period that you were talking about? You know, I didn't I didn't think of it like that. I, that was that was too big of an idea for me to think about what I I was focused on myself as an artist. I um, I don't I never really intended to be an animator. I just wanted to be a sculptor, a painter. And uh, animation was to me the ultimate art form. And I was doing big characters, bigger than life villains. And I was supposed to do Ursula and um that was where the weight and power was. And then I heard Jody Benson singing part of your world. Um, and suddenly I realized there was more power, more light, more energy in a character that believed the impossible was possible. And, and I remember just going into Ron and John's office and saying, I, I don't want to do Ursula. I have to do Ariel. I, I, feel, I know this girl. I, I, I feel like, I mean, that, that's so much of just my own point of view in life is, is expressed in that. And they said, well, I mean, can you draw a pretty girl? And I said, well, yeah, I've been drawing my wife for 10 years. I know <laughs> so they, they yeah, said, go ahead. And, and that really started a path for me of identifying with uh, main characters that, have this this burning desire inside of them that's driving them and, and that's what i wanted to animate yeah you know uh speaking of uh uh you know this uh you know some of the stuff that you were doing outside of the studio and you know your desire to pursue animation outside of the studio because you didn't want to be held down by anything you talk about some of the projects that you took 
Um, and one of them that you mentioned was Deer Basketball. And a lot of people know this because, of course, of Kobe Bryant. This is uh, Kobe Bryant's love letter to his career in basketball as he was about to retire. Uh, you were a director on this. Deer Basketball. Yeah, that, you gave a six year old that was an incredible day to have. Oh, are you going to, you oh, to play something? You know what? I was showing a clip, but I mean, please go ahead. Go ahead, and show, go ahead and show a clip. No, you know what? Let me show some of this because it is, uh, I'm going to mention this again later, but your draftsmanship is, uh, is incredible. I love seeing the stuff, your animation, when it looks like it, it looks like it's in sketch form. Big show boy is Lakey Dream. And we both know, no matter what I do next, I'll always be that kid with the rolled up socks garbage can in the corner five seconds on the clock you know of course as i said you uh you won an, an oscar for this for this is back in i believe what 2018 for best uh, animated short and you and kobe were on stage accepting together because he wrote this uh you know i have to ask though because of Kobe Bryant, even then being such a controversial figure, and there was some controversy behind him getting on stage and uh, accepting this award. Uh, did did you receive any criticism from people, or did you get any kind of blowback from people for working with Kobe Bryant on this? No, I I really got amazing support from people that love Kobe. I. I knew Kobe from watching him basketball. I mean, knew his reputation, but I had no idea the extent of, of his touch on the world, um, particularly. And I, I started to really realize it uh, more and more as I got to know him, but never more than after his death uh, that, how incredible his touch on people's lives was. Um, and, and what hit me about Kobe was, I thought it was his athletic ability. And I, after spending time with him, I realized you know, it's not that. That's not what made Kobe great. It, there was two things. One was this incredible intelligence, um, hunger to learn, study. He was... If, if he was standing, if there was, they were shooting, they were doing a free throw um, and he's playing the Bulls, you'll see Kobe st sitting there or standing there next to Michael Jordan, asking him about how to do a, sh a certain shot. And Michael Jordan's explaining to his competitor <laughs> how you make a certain shot. Kobe was ever, never and never, uh, not learning. He called, cold called um, John Williams and wanted to know about composing music. And, but he wanted to know it so that he could somehow use that in planning a game strategy. Um, everything was, was going into, into that. Um, there was that part of it. And then the, the other part of it was of him was this, same thing that I was just talking about, believing the impossible is possible. 
I mean, there could be 1.7 seconds left on the clock and everybody knows Kobe's going to get the ball and <laughs> it doesn't matter. You know, and he had to shoot a three pointer somehow within that time. And, and he does it and they win the championship. That's crazy. You know, when I was approaching over the moon, I realized Fei is exactly like the character <laughs> just animated with Kobe. She she's incredibly smart and believes the impossible is possible. They had this faith. I, I just was it was such an incredible hit when he passed away. Um, our team gathered here at the studio and, you know, in tears. And we all shared what he meant to us. Um, and I had animated the the final shot in Dear Basketball as Kobe walks out from the court through the tunnel and, and he went into the shadows. Um, and when I had animated that, I thought, no, this isn't right. I, I got to redo it. And so I had him walking towards light and then he just goes into the light. Um, and I remember when I did that, I thought, I wonder if Kobe, I hope he doesn't mind that it looks like I'm animating him going to heaven. <laughs> um, and I thought, oh gosh, that's, he didn't know what he was, that he was giving a final, his final message in a lot of ways in that little film, uh, in Dear Basketball, the letter he wrote. And Audrey Wells did know in writing Over the Moon that, that message. And there's great power in, in that kind, it's not theoretical, it's real. Um, passing on something to future generations uh, to be able to move through difficult challenges and not let that stop you. Um, it's just been a privilege to be able to work uh, on this film and with Kobe. Yeah, you know, and that was such a fitting thing that people, you know, for, for him, I mean, before his passing, of course, it was tragic and nobody knew it, but it must have been so incredible to know that you gave that to him before he left. You know, it's, a, it's, it's an amazing short. Yeah, I, well, I mean, I was, I was often getting texts from Kobe. Uh, he was like instant being able to, to respond right away. And, um, you know, we had hopes to do more together and, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I just count that as one of the greatest gifts given to me in my life to be able to work with him. Yeah, I remember I was talking to another animator there, uh, creator of the Proud Family, and he was talking about how Kobe even had interest in uh, opening an animation studio uh, at one point as one of his ventures. You know, did you did he ever talk to you about that? Oh yeah, yes. Yeah, he <laughs> he was like, what? How why are you doing over the moon? I, I want to do something with you now. I said, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, this is, I have to do this. It's just like I felt like with Dear Basketball, I had to do that. But there'll come a point where we finish this movie as well. He said, okay, but but, but make sure that you're, you let me know when you get that time again. Uh, you know, I know everybody brings this up, switching gears here real quick, but uh, 
I know everybody brings this up with you, but I, I, I have to do this too because, again, it's very educational for people who still don't know this. But, um, of course, your father is Bill Keen. Now, a lot of, we have a very young audience, and, a, you know, it's, it's gotten to the point now there's a generation who, they're not growing up with, uh, with comic strips, especially, you know, waking up on Sunday for the color comics, uh, which your dad's comics were a huge part of my Sundays getting up. Your father's comic strip, of course, was the family circus. Uh, your father, Bill Keen, uh, you and your brother, Chris, uh, were kind of the influences on the character of Billy in that comic. You know, uh, being that you grew up uh, around your father, of course, drawing. I mean, I, I would, I'm, I'm going to assume that that had very much an influence on your your artistic uh, choices in life. Uh, but you know where they split is that comic strips. You know, that seems like such an area where the artist has total control most of the time, uh, from writing it to drawing it out and then sending it off and moving on to the next one. Animation is a huge collaborative uh, effort. You know, so traditionally, you know, there's a lot of people involved. Uh, what attracted you to something like animation over maybe doing something that, uh, like following your father and doing comic strips? Well, it's, my dad um, was an amazing artist. Uh, his watercolors and his drawing, uh, dad was truly an artist, but he had made this choice to really follow um, his path as an entertainer. And he, he really learned in World War II, his art form and, um, and every dinner at, with dad, he would tell jokes to us. And of course I was just like seven year old kid and he'd tell some <laughs> joke and I'd say, I don't get it. And he'd say, I only tell him, I don't explain them. You know, <laughs> he, he funny guy. Um, and he, at one point though said, Glenn, I'm a cartoonist. You're an artist. And I was just a little kid. And he gave me a book, uh, Dynamic Anatomy uh, by Bern Hogarth in uh, classical drawing and learning the muscles. And um, in a sense, he, he was knighting me. I, I'll never forget <laughs> just that comment and how important that, that meant to me. Uh, there was a path that he could have gone and he didn't, really get to pursue, but he was saying, you go do that. Um, I remember getting on the school bus uh, when I was a kid, uh, doing drawings from uh, dynamic anatomy and um, figurative drawings and all the other, my friends came around to look at my sketches and they all started laughing um, and saying, <laughs> Keen's drawing naked guys. <laughs> and, and you know, when your friends are laughing at you at that age, you you come to a fork in the road. Like, do I push that aside because my friends are more important and I'm not going to be the, the weird one? Or do you say, man, that makes me special. <laughs> they don't do that. They don't get it. <laughs> and, I, and my dad said that I'm an artist and, oh, I, I like the fact that I can pursue this. And that's the path that I went um, because of, of his encouragement. Um, so when I, 
was 18, my dad drove me out to Cal Arts. It's a new school in 72 that we uh, were going to drop my portfolio off to become an artist, you know, real training. And um, the school was closed. So it was Easter break. We drove out from Arizona. And um, so we're driving around the school near the dorm. Don't know what we're going to do. <laughs> and I got my portfolio there. And there's this kind of stoner guy walking across. You know. <laughs> Dad says, rolls down the window. And he says, uh, excuse me, young man. And I'm thinking, Dad, what, what are you doing? He said, look, look, um, the school is closed. And he said, yeah, man, the school is closed. Yes, yes, yes. It's I, know, I know that. Uh, here, here's my son's portfolio. Can you drop this off at the art school when it opens? And he gives the guy my all my original artwork and everything in the portfolio. <laughs> and the guy walks off. Um, and we drove back home. And I mean, I would never do that to my kids. But like, I you know, was not sophisticated in art schools. And so finally, I get this letter from Cal Art saying that I was accepted into the School of Film Graphics. Um, and I had no idea what film graphics meant in 72. That I said, that idiot, he dropped it off at the wrong school. <laughs> when I got there to Cal Arts, so it was animation. And I discovered that animation is the ultimate art form. I mean, it's, it's painting and drawing and dance and design and color and acting and filmmaking and all of it together. And it will demand everything that you can put into it, your entire artistic life. You will always... It's a humbling art form because you will never attain what mm -hmm. you long to. And it's, it will keep you young. Now, Joe Grant, 96 years old. He was still coming into work and he was always the youngest man in, in the room. He was head of story on Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. Um, I, that's the path that, that I'm on. I can see that. I mean, I've seen videos of you, I've, I, and I've searched the internet for, and I, I don't know, I can't find it, but videos of you jumping around the studio with a with a cape on, you know, doing your beast impressions and whatnot. I can definitely see that with you, man. Uh, you know, and I think it's cool that at one point down the road, uh, you know, you your your medium and your father's medium uh, kind of met. Uh, if I got it correct. Uh, you uh, did the animation and design for uh, the Family Circus. I'm going to show a little clip right here. The Family Circus uh, Christmas special. Mommy, Jeffy licked a candy cane. I had to. It was dusty. You know, is that something that... Uh, now, now, did I get that correct? Did you actually work on that? I, I did. I did some work on the uh, helping the animators know how to draw the characters. I didn't do a lot of the animation or anything mm -hmm. uh, it was a very limited budget but yeah i was i was working with dad on it uh you know I've, uh, i told you i was going to bring this up again uh you are such a a great draftsman you know it's uh it's 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 just a it's a pleasure to just sit back and watch you watch you sketch you know uh I've seen so many videos where you've drawn, especially the Beast, which is one of, I tell you one of my favorite characters right here. Uh, yet you've embraced all kind of technology, you know, uh, and you've left quite a legacy at Disney. You know, the anybody who keeps up with this knows about the the uh, deep canvas technology that you pioneered over there, where you uh, allow two D characters to move through three D environments and also allow artists to paint on 
3D environments. Uh, one of the things that I was really happy to find, and I didn't find it until I started looking up stuff uh, to do the interview. I remember when I was, uh, I was a kid and I had the Disney Channel and they showed, I was watching this special about uh, CG animation, which if you look at today, it looks very primitive, but at the time it was cutting edge stuff. And there was a, a segment that came up for where the wild things are. This was something that was, uh, that was going to be uh, directed by John Lasseter and you were doing the animation on here. And, and I think you brought in the whole technique of uh, the, the, the 3D background. And watching this, man, I thought, I, I remember seeing this and thinking, I can't wait to see what this is like when it's finished. And I never heard about it ever again. Whatever happened with that? Uh, that because that looks so incredible, and I was so excited for it. Yeah, that was the real, really the the nexus of computer animation at that point. John and I had gone across the street at Disney, uh, the, the Disney Theater there, and they were working on Tron. And at that time, we we were working on the Fox and the Hound, and um, there was. There was the multiplane camera at Disney, but we weren't using it because it was too expensive. So there mm -hmm. weren't multiplane. There were some moments where you could enter into dimension. But in Tron, every shot was moving in and out with these light cycles. And we came back to my office and was like, there's got to be a way we can <laughs> add that kind of dimension. Why can't we? And so John and I started to work on this idea of what if we did a little film and we, we love the where the wild things are, but we'll do the backgrounds in CG because you couldn't do the characters yet in CG, but I could draw them like dimensional characters and we could paint it as if, so it's like a, a proof of concept and we would figure out how to do the characters. Um, so we did that, presented it uh, to Disney, um, but at that time management at Disney felt like that was going to be uh, uh, too expensive. And why would we want to do that? Um, so John left Disney and I remained. And so and John followed that path. And, you know, these paths keep coming back. You keep growing. And I'm glad I went on the path. I went and he went where he went. And it was, um, it was very much a, uh, an artistic discovery. And like I said, CG always, forces you to think more dimensionally and to draw better. Uh, and, and that's why that's the path that I've been on. And you know what? You, you, you uh, continue to go along that path, uh, especially because you have a lot of artists. You know, the big question for people who've had such a extensive, uh, spent extensive time doing something like 2D animation, you know, everybody asks them, uh, how do you feel about, you know, uh, CG and you know uh, uh, the, you know 2D being pushed aside, but you seem to embrace new technologies. There is a video out there, and uh, I'm just going to show this so you don't have to stop talking. But uh, you know, there's a video out there where you're drawing, you're sketching in virtual reality. When I draw in virtual reality, uh, and you you you're, you, you're very enthusiastic about it. Uh, well, first of all, how is it uh, drawn with that? I mean, I'm sure that's you know that's an experience not everybody has had yet. Uh, is this something is, that you enjoy? Do you see this as something that is going to be implemented more in the future? Well, I, I love the idea that I could draw 
um, in space. Uh, like I, I was saying that I think of my animation as sculptural drawing. Mm. Uh, when I'm animating the beast or Ariel or, you know, any character that I'm doing, even with Feifei now, um, I'm constantly turning our characters in space to prove to you that they are not flat characters. These are dimensional. You can put your hands on them. You can feel them. Um, <clears throat> and so in virtual reality, I'm drawing the way I feel in my head anyway. And it was, it was just such an awesome experience to do that. The thing that I would love to see it move towards is that you are actually not doing one drawing, but animating characters mm. in three dimension space. That to me is the next step for that. Yeah, you just answered my question. I was, was, I was wondering where you thought the direction of animation was going. What direction do you think animation is going? And what place do you see traditional forms like 2D animation falling into that? Well, um, I think the story itself uh, may lead you as to what you do in CG or hand-drawn, or it depends on you know, just your, your skill. You choose subject matter that allows you to express uh, what you're good at, how you can draw. And, uh, and, and over the moon, I was given the choice, so do it in whatever way you want. Uh, you tell us. And I thought, well, hand-drawn, that would be really cool. And I know there's a sequence I want to do hand-drawn in that movie. Um, and I did this whole Changa, Legend of Changa. I did uh, drawing that uh, in a graphic style, uh, an illustrative style. Mm -hmm. um, but I ultimately chose CG in that film because one of the great challenges was how do you take um, this story of a girl that starts in this little town in China and goes to a fantasy world on the dark <laughs> side of the moon. Um, and I, I saw the, uh, the album cover from, you know, Pink Floyd, dark side of the moon with the prism <laughs> yeah. and the white light going into rainbows. And I thought that that it's gotta be like that. That's about light. We, the earth is going to be like reflected light on the moon. It's going to be source light. It's going to be glowing out from there. And Celine de Rumeau, my production designer, is a genius in color and light. And it was perfect for her. Um, so we went with uh, CG just because it was, it was the only way to tell that kind of story, but it was also the subtlety of the performance was going to be build a face that allows for, you to see the thinking of Feifei because it's going to be in her eyes. That's what's going to make you believe in this character. Um, so designing her, building her, working with Sony uh, Image Works up in Vancouver, building Feifei was kind of like building a Lamborghini. I mean, you've got <laughs> all there's so much in there. It's just like telling the animators, okay, take that car out of the garage and drive the heck out of it, make it really sing, you know, and that, that was, that was the, the reason for wanting to go CG. So where's it going to go from here? I, I feel like the amazing experiment with Netflix is a studio that allows creators enormous freedom and that it's a global studio. 
uh, you can be anywhere in the world creating films. And I think animation is really going to be much more culturally expressive. People telling their stories from their culture back to the world. That's what Over the Moon is. That's a very uh, beautiful way of putting that. And you know, and you know what? And I would love to. That's such a good way to end things. But I do have one thing I have to ask you because I think this would, again, this is something that people don't know, and I think it's something that uh, it's something I don't even understand completely. But you have uh, something called aphantasia. Is that how you say that? Mm-hmm. I. This is a mental condition, uh, and it's, I, I'm going to read what I what what because I have to write it down to to, to really understand what it is. Uh, it is a mental condition characterized by an inability inability to voluntarily visualize mental imagery. So, what exactly does that mean? I mean, it probably says it right there, but can you break it down even more? Well, I, I didn't know there was a word for it. I just knew that. Early on, uh, Eric Larson, as we were talking about animation in a room full of animators and my mentor, you know, Eric was one of Walt Disney's nine old men. And he was saying, all right, now we need to visualize uh, what we're about to animate before we draw it. And I said, I I, I don't do that. He said, well, of course you do. I said, no, I don't (laughs) see it in my head. He says, yes, you do. I said, no, I don't. How do you draw it if you don't see it in your head? I said, I have no idea. But I know that I do not see a picture in my head. And I'd watched other animators draw like there was a picture in their head. And I knew that's not me. Uh, it's, I said, it's something that I feel. And it's more in the drawing is a revealing of it. And that's all I can say. It's an experience that I it's something that's hidden in there and it's the drawing of it that, that helps it come out. Um, and I, I never knew if anybody liked that until I had dinner one evening with Ed Catmull and he was telling me um, that he had been to a seminar and they, somebody had said to the group, okay, now close your eyes and visualize a sphere. And this is a mathematician kind of a guy that write, could write all the math about a sphere. But he said, I could not see a sphere. And, and he said, I realized that I, I was different than the other people in the room there. And, and I said, Ed, I have the same thing. And that's when we realized we both had that. And I wouldn't trade that, though. I wouldn't trade mm-hmm. it for anything because um, – I love coming at it from a heart place um, to believe it's important for me to believe. It's why I talk about the sincerity is so vital in animation. I, I can't draw it if I can't feel it. Um, and it's just part of who I am. And, and I love that part of me. Hey, you know what? I, I'm surprised I was able to fit in as much as I did. Uh, I had so much here and I was afraid I wouldn't get to it. But thank you for just opening up and the stories and the discussion and just sharing, man. I, that, that I really do appreciate that. As I said, this is an honor for me and to get some of these things that I never thought I'd hear straight from you has been a complete pleasure. Thank you for, uh, for, the, for the conversation. Thanks, Corey. These were great questions. Very thought provoking for me. 
Oh, it's, that's great to hear. That makes me feel very good. And uh, good luck with everything. And uh, good luck with the uh, uh, Over the Moon. And I'm very much looking forward to what you're doing after that. Do, you know, I have to say what it is. But before we go, do you have your next project planned out? Yeah, we've got we've got a few. Actually, right now, November 10th, my son, Max Keen, he has uh, an animation series coming out with Netflix that Glenn Keen Productions did called Trash Truck about his son's <laughs> his son, Hank's obsession with Trash Truck when he was a little kid <laughs> and created a story where Hank and Trash Truck are best friends. And, and I do the voice of Trash Truck and it's coming out November 10th. Oh, can't wait. Can't wait to see that. Especially, have you ever done voices before? Yeah, I, I, I'm just kind of a, a ham, constantly doing <laughs> little voices here and there. You wouldn't know. They're scattered throughout movies I've done. Well, again, thank you for your time. I know you're very busy, and this has been a joy. Uh, you have a good day. Thank you very much. Thanks, Corey. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And everyone, there we go. As I said, man, this is uh, something that is doing these these interviews. Something that is uh, that is great because I never thought that I'd ever be talking to some of the people that I have looked up to practically in my whole life. Sometimes not even knowing it. Again, that has been Glenn Keane, legendary animator. And his movie, Over the Moon, will be on Netflix October 23rd. And as uh, he was talking about his future projects, I'm very much looking forward to them. Thank you, everyone out there, for listening and watching. And I'm going to get out of here because I might not be as busy as Mr. Glenn King, but I'm a busy man, too, and I got some other shows to prepare for. But even when I'm not doing a show... You know I'm going to tell you. You can still get a hold of me. KCoolmans at gmail.com. That's K-C-O-O-L-M-A-N-Z at gmail.com. You email us with any kind of questions, comments, compliments, insults, input, and advice. Hit us up on the social medias, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Copy all that information right there. Use it. And we hope to hear from you. Also, we hope to hear from you when you're in Austin, Texas. But not right now because... It's dirty out there. It's all corona infested. So I'll tell you what. Stay where you are. And when the time is right, then we love to hear from you. Let us know your plans for Austin when you get here. KCoolmans at gmail.com. Let us know if you're moving here or simply passing through. All right, everybody. Today has been great. And I'm looking forward to whoever I talk to again. But this is definitely one of the top right here. We'll see you on the next show. Good night, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Whenever you are listening to or watching this, goodbye and stay toasty. Want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year, automatically, dollar for dollar, with no limit on how much you can earn. Extra cash? Come on, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing when you realize all the places where Discover is accepted. 
99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2021 Nielsen Report. Limitations apply.